You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Ben's going to be preaching on the Joshua Jericho passage. And it's in your bulletin as Joshua 5, 13 through 6, 7. I'm reading from the ESV version. There are Bibles in your pews, so I'll give you a chance to find the passage here in a second. Please stand for reading God's Word. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come... And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Joshua was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. So march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you will march around the city seven times, and a priest shall blow the trumpets. And then make a long blast of the ram's horn. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout the great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Okay, good evening. Uh, my name is Ben Milner, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I uh, want to welcome you as well to Salem Presbyterian Church. We're glad you're here. Um, we're looking at the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, and if you don't know that, it's a children's Bible written by Sally Lloyd-Jones, and the reason that we're looking at it is because it's a great description of the entire sweep of the Bible from beginning to end. It tells the big story of God's redemption. So. 
Uh, we're going to be looking at it all the way till Advent. If you don't have a copy of it, I really highly recommend it. It's not just for kids. Uh, there are certain college pastors I know that hand it out to their students uh, because it's probably the best introduction I know to what the whole story of the Bible is. Because the whole point of the Storybook Bible is that the, the entire Bible is all about Jesus. Every story whispers his name. So that's the big picture of it. And we're going to see that in this passage tonight. Um, every week, uh, we're going to be looking at how um, basically God's plan in creation, I say this every week we do this series, is he makes uh, Adam and Eve, he makes his first human beings uh, in the garden, and he makes us to reflect his own creativity. So in the same way that God uh, took chaos and made order out of it, and uh, he took what was empty and he filled it with beauty, in that same way we are supposed to be his image bearers, we are to reflect him, uh, we are to spread out from the Garden of Eden to fill the whole world with uh, God's dominion reflected through us like little mirrors and, uh, and to subdue the entire planet like gardeners, uh, make beauty everywhere, which we're doing. Um, I, I always say, you know, even uh, an, an iPhone, a microphone, candles, this pulpit, your pew you're sitting in, these, the ceiling here, everything that we see around us is part of us spreading God's creativity around the world. But the problem is, early in the story... Uh, Human beings, instead of working for God's glory and God's creativity, we tried to be uh, the the center, the boss of everything. We tried to be the ones that were in control of everything. And so um, instead of dominion, we spread domination. And so instead of having gardens and bakeries and museums like we were supposed to create, we also added waste dumps and brothels and sweatshops and all the other things we've done to create misery on this planet And God, in response to all that, initiates this secret rescue plan. And the secret rescue plan is this family of people uh, that that God begun 4,000 years ago with a man named Abraham, who who was uh, 100 years old. He he and his wife had no children. Uh, They were too old to bear children. And so God says, I want that couple to be the ones uh, to start this new rescue plan, the secret rescue plan. And it would be a family of people on earth that would try to restore dominion instead of domination. That would bring us back to the Garden of Eden and restore God's dominion uh, in this promised land. And really the the story of Israel in the Old Testament is all the story of God trying to restore the Garden of Eden, if you will. To bring dominion instead of domination in this one little strip of land in the world. Um, And that's what we see in this passage tonight. We see... um, Israel starting to move into the promised land. This is the first story where Israel enters the promised land and actually encounters resistance. So it's really a story of spiritual warfare. And we're going to look at how um, we fight spiritual warfare by doing this strange thing, which uh, is, we call worship. Uh, which is what you see with Joshua, where he bows down, he falls on his face before the angel of the Lord where the Israelites go around the city seven times and they blow trumpets and they worship God. And in our worship of God, uh, we see that uh, all the forces against God and his rule fall. The strongholds fall down and, and they, they perish in the face of worship. So we fight in a very strong, a strange way. Uh, we, we do not fight against flesh and blood, Paul says. Uh, we fight with very odd weapons, uh, namely with our voices our singing, uh, our thoughts, our praise, our humility, our bowing down before God. So I want to look at two things, the spiritual warfare 
and then um, how we fight through worship. Okay, so first of all, this is, I'm reading from the storybook Bible here. This is from Sally Lloyd-Jones. She says, after Moses died, and we looked at that last week, how Moses led uh, the, the secret rescue plan, the people of God, Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, so after Moses died, God gave Israel a new leader that would lead God's people into a special land that God would give them. That's the land where God was going to create the dominion. Uh, they, the Israelites have been wandering around in the baking desert for 40 years. So I want you to imagine 40 years wandering aimlessly in the desert. That's half a lifetime. And that's after 400 years in slavery to Egypt. And if you think about um, from 1500 to 1900, the transatlantic slave uh, trade has been going on. Um, and somewhat, some, so it continues today to some extent. It's the same amount of time, essentially, as Israel uh, was in slavery to Egypt. So that's a long time. It's a very long time that they were slaves in Egypt. They owned nothing. They had no freedom. They barely thought of themselves as equal to other people because they had been so oppressed and held down so long. And so this is what the story Bible says, how happy they were to reach the edge of the desert and see their beautiful new home right in front of them, cool and green and lovely. So here they are coming out of the 40 years of wandering, 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and now they're looking for the first time at the promised land. And it was a land promised to Abraham, stolen by the Canaanites. And of course, they're not going to just waltz in and take the promised land. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require a battle. And in Numbers 13, 28, we read that the, the people living there are powerful. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And their towns are large and fortified. That's the report that the Israelite spies gave when they saw the Canaanites. The Canaanites were huge. And so the Jericho uh, was not going to be a cakewalk. Uh, Jericho was a formidable fortress. Again, the, the story of the Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones says, there was only one problem, Jericho. It was a fortress and it stopped anyone from getting into the land. The people of Israel looked at Jericho. What do they do now? Nobody knew. So there's this stronghold, this massive stronghold of Jericho. And uh, the New York Times reported a few years ago, when I was in seminary, uh, they thought that Jericho fell a hundred years earlier than what the Bible would report it to have fallen. So I, I learned that Jericho was a legend. It never really happened. Well, more recently, scholars have found that actually no, Jericho, uh, the ruins of Jericho were found in 1400 BC, which is exactly when the Bible would say that it should have been found. So there is a, this is from the New York Times. There's impressive evidence, quote, that a fortified city, a large fortified city was destroyed. They found broken down walls in the late Bronze Age, about 1400 BC. So this is not a legend. It's in the Storbuk Bible, but it's not a legend. This really happened. It's incredible archaeological finding that confirms the Bible. And what the finding shows is that this is a very large, very strong city with massive walls. Uh, in verse 1, it says Jericho was shut up inside and outside. That means it's impenetrable. Uh, it's famous for its strength. Verse 2, uh, it had a king and mighty men of valor. They're the ones who made the Israelites feel like little tiny grasshoppers in comparison. So this is uh, something, this promised land, Jericho, is not going to be taken easily. And in the same way, when we fight 
Our spiritual warfare, which we do all the time, we don't realize it a lot of time, but we do. Uh, it's 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 going to be hard. There are strongholds that must fall. Um, an enemy has occupied this earth and has filled it with strongholds. Ephesians six twelve says, "Cosmic powers rule this present darkness." This is what Paul was writing. Spiritual forces of evil in high places. Um, now you might think about like giant demons, uh, creatures with huge black wings and. You know, they have talons and horns and they breathe fire. But that's not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about these uh, powers of evil. Sometimes rulers like Herod are referred to as principalities and powers. People like Caesar Augustus referred to as principalities and powers. Sometimes it's certain systemic sins like uh, the pornography epidemic around the world that leads to a lot of sex trafficking. That would be a power or a principality or a stronghold. Uh, something that is bigger than any human being that could create. Even systemic racism in our country is something that no single human being thought this up. No one mastermind racism. It's just something that a, a, a larger-than-life mind, you know, like a, the mind flayer, um, something like that has created this structure of racism that is going along behind the scenes silently all the time. Or mass shootings. You know, why are there all these mass shootings right now? Um, there's something, there's an evil intelligence that lies behind these large movements. And, and I would say that the word stronghold uh, would be a good way of describing them. And um, I thought of homelessness, um, which is one of these multi-layered uh, strongholds, very powerful in our city. Uh, we are the city that is the 18th worst in the United States for um, people's homes, uh, the rent being driven up and uh, being driven out of their homes. The real estate system kind of drives people out of their homes oftentimes um, by gentrification. And so people who used to be able to afford their apartments or their, the houses they lived in that were renting, they're driven out away. The low wages contributes to homelessness. Uh, a mental health system that is being stripped of a lot of resources contributes to, mental, uh, to homelessness. But then behind that, so you've got all those strongholds in place. And then there's also just the broken personal relationships that if you meet people who are homeless often... They have almost no relationships with their family anymore. They know almost no one who has any influence that can help them. Addiction is a huge part of homelessness, mental illness, as I mentioned, abuse. And there's also the spiritual oppression that's going on. So what I'm saying is that all these things, all these factors come together uh, to produce a stronghold like homelessness. And we so easily forget the spiritual. When we think about the economy today, what's going on in the world, recession we might be moving into, what's happening in Ukraine, um, our first instinct is to go right to um, kind of human you know, factors. Two, I would say it's two-dimensional. We have a very two-dimensional way of reading reality. Uh, in verse 13, this is the way Joshua read the situation. When he was at Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. So Joshua encounters this powerful person with a drawn sword and the first instinct that Joshua has is to make this into a two-dimensional battle where he says are you for us or are you for our adversaries in other words like are you on our side or are you on their side so Joshua is trying to make this about a two-dimensional human thing Um, and the that's that's not what's going on here at all as he's to find out uh, he's totally clueless about the real enemy behind the enemy. It's not just the Canaanites. It's not just the people of Jericho. There's something 
much bigger going on. And I was just thinking about, um, I heard a sermon this week where the, the pastor was saying, you know, what if, take, take your, your enemy in the culture wars, and almost everyone has someone, you know, something, like Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, Tucker Carlson, Rachel Maddow, someone that you really disagree with, maybe some blogger, some kind of, someone who, does, who tweets a lot, uh, someone that you just wish if they were taken out, you know, if this group of people were taken out or they were taken out, um, if this senator or this justice or that president were just taken out and, and destroyed, then, then actually it would solve everything. And the reality is if all those things were taken out, the spiritual warfare is still going on just the same because it's much bigger than any human being. And Joshua was thinking about it as, are you for us or are you against it? He, he's forgetting the invisible, what's really going on. And I'm not going to keep mentioning Stranger Things, but one more. Um, there's a, a fantastic scene uh, in this past season where this skeptical police chief, I love the police chief, he's always trying to look for the two-dimensional answer to the three-dimensional problem uh, of spiritual warfare. And he doesn't believe there is such thing as true evil, as supernatural evil. And so he's always trying to arrest different people to solve the crime. And finally, one of the characters, I think it's Lucas, who says... To the police chief, how can you fight evil when you don't even believe in it? And I think that's what we have to ask ourselves. You know, do we really believe that there is true personal evil? That there are uh, non-material beings, intelligences, that are incredibly malicious and hateful and are trying to destroy people and destroy God's world? And so we say, are you for us or against us? And I love the reply of the man with the sword. Uh, Joshua's like, are you liberal or conservative? Are you progressive or are you traditional? And the guy with the sword says, no. Are you for us or against us? No, neither one. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. So he just completely reconfigures the whole situation. It's like a figure ground shift. If you know about a figure ground shift in psychology, there's the famous one of the the beautiful woman and the ugly woman, if you look at it a certain way, it switches from one to the other. Or there's also a famous duck rabbit, where one second you're looking at a duck that's, that's uh, all black, and then you're looking suddenly at a rabbit that's all white, depending on how you see the situation. And in the same way, Joshua's like, suddenly there's a figure ground shift, where he is not the one in control. It's not a two-dimensional battle, and he just falls on his face in verse 14, and he worships and says, what does my Lord say? He's like, I'm not General Eisenhower. I'm a foot soldier. I'm a no one. And you are, you are the commander of the army of the Lord. And Joshua is expecting marching orders. And now we're moving into how to fight the spiritual warfare. This is how you fight the spiritual warfare. What happens next? Uh, Joshua fell on his face in worship. And the commander of the Lord's army says, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And that's kind of, in a nutshell, the very strange way that we, as a peculiar people who are called Christians, fight against evil. It doesn't seem like the way that you would do it. Uh, it's, uh, it's not the kind of warfare um, that you would see uh, in Star Wars with, you know, these Jedi fighting um, or even Stranger Things or... Even I love the Lord of the Rings, but it's not that kind of warfare. It's, it's not magic or Harry Potter stuff. It's uh, falling on your face and worshiping 
and taking off the sandals from your feet because this is the holy ground you're on. Now, that doesn't seem very effective. Like us coming here to worship tonight does not seem like an effective way of pushing back darkness or tearing down strongholds. But this story, as so many other in the Bible, tell us clearly that the first move in the chess game with evil is to lay down your weapon and get on your knees and say, in the first step of AA, if you know about Alcoholics Anonymous, the very first step is we have admitted that we are powerless and that our lives have become unmanageable. And if you really want to become uh, a ferocious warrior in the battle against evil, that's what you said. Uh, I think AA, it was, in, it was developed by these two men who are Christians. Um, it's, it's deeply Christian. And that first step is a step that we as Christians would call humility or repentance. You admit you're powerless over some addiction, uh, some kind of idol that you worship, and you say, I, my life is unmanageable and I repent and I need you to save me. I need, God, I need you to save me from this thing. And that's where you get really, really scary to evil. You have to surrender to win. Uh, it cannot be about your agenda. If you're fighting for your agenda, it's not going to work. And I love how uh, basically this is kind of an anti-conquest. They call this sometimes the conquest of, of Canaan or Israelites coming in the conquest of the promised land. It's more like an anti-conquest because um, God is essentially marginalizing Israel intentionally. He's kind of making a fool out of Israel. Uh, they are clearly not the ones in charge here. They're not the ones setting the agenda. It's not their culture war. It's very different from the Crusades or the Inquisition or the Conquistadors or any of the ways that Christians have perverted holy war uh, throughout Christian history. It's the opposite of that. Uh, this is where uh, Israel is not even allowed to keep any of the spoils of war in this holy war. And they are strategically humbled from the start. Uh, God's like, okay, first thing, uh, Joshua, I want you to do is I want you to get out that box that you built with the angels that are carved on it. It's called the ark. And I want you to take that out and I want you to take some trumpets and march around Jericho uh, seven days. You know, that would, for, for Joshua and the army who were ready to fight, that would be embarrassing. They'd be like, what are we doing? We're, we're ready to fight the Canaanites and you're asking us to um, march this box around with angels on it, and blow trumpets. It seems absurd. This is the Storbuk Bible. God told Joshua what to do, but it was a very odd battle plan. They had their swords and their shields and ready to fight, but the plan was to trust and wait and do what God said. You can imagine the Canaanites watching this happening um, and just like laughing to one another. Are, like, are those trumpets that they're carrying... What, are they marching that? Is this a parade? Are they marching that crazy golden box around our city? And they, the story Bible says the Canaanites yelled, they're too scared to fight. They imagined that the Israelites were just cowards uh, circling the city, unable to actually make an attack. But actually, they're becoming very small and they're exalting God. And that's the way that the battle is fought, is humility and exaltation. On the last day, verse 4, it says, Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And then they blow together at the top of their lungs. And then all of Israel shouts 
at the top of their lungs. It's this massive roar. If you've ever been to a, a huge sporting event, I was in Death Valley, Tiger Stadium, you know, in the end zone, you know, fourth down and inches, the roar there is deafening. You can, you can, it, this would have been 10 times louder than that. Just a deafening roar. All of these uh, trumpets blowing at the same time. And right now, the Israelites are either utterly humiliated or God's got to show up. It's either or. You know, God's put them in a situation where uh, they could just look utterly foolish. But this is what the Storybook Bible says. Sally Lowe Jones again. The huge, strong walls of Jericho crumbled to the ground as if they were made of sand. And God's people entered their new home. They didn't have to fight to get in. They only had to walk. One of my favorite 80s songs, uh, little known song by The Call. It was called uh, uh, The Walls Came Down. I remember that song, na 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 it it's, it's a great song. Look it up. Uh, they blew their horns and the walls came down. They'd all been warned and the walls came down. They stood there laughing. They're not laughing anymore. It's a song about the way that uh, God fights um, in a way that mocks our strength, that mocks our pretensions. I was talking to, uh, to my wife today in the car as we were driving up here and uh, talking about what is something similar to um, this kind of thing that you see in movies or literature. Where do you ever see uh, something like this happening where worship uh, completely changes the situation and defeats a stronghold, defeats evil. And she immediately mentioned uh, uh, the Grinch that stole Christmas. And I thought, yeah, that's, a, that's the perfect depiction of where uh, right when the Who's have lost everything and they feel like it's all over and the Grinch has stolen all their toys, um, they, they get around in a circle and they hold hands and they begin to sing and praise. I know a friend who became a Christian when he saw that happen. He was actually high when he was watching the movie. And he became a Christian right when he saw them hold hands and begin to sing when they've lost everything. And then the Grinch who has stolen everything from them and is so envious and hateful, whose heart is so small, right when he sees that happening, his heart grows large and he, he repents and he brings all their toys back. And it's a great example of a stronghold falling by merely the act of worship and gratitude and singing and praising. So think about the battles that you're fighting what are the battles that you're fighting? What are the strongholds that you think are impenetrable? It could be um, depression or loneliness or anxiety about an impossible situation at work or a terrible marriage or a child or a brother or sister where there's no way that you can see out of the situation. Um, could be just a, an absolutely horrible boss could be um, school-related. You can't get into some school that you've been trying to get into or you failed, you flunked out. Uh, I was up last night a couple of hours just nervous thinking about my children and they just came into my mind and uh, I was filled with anxiety about them and I don't know what, what it is for you that keeps you up at night, but um, they're so impregnable, some of these strongholds, that uh, we can't see a solution to it. We just think and think and think and, and our mind is racing. We cannot see any solution to it. And just imagine at that point falling to your knees in broken tears of humiliation and praising God in a situation like that where you have no control at all. And you just admit you have no control. 
And you, you can't solve the problem. And trying to solve it in your mind won't help you solve the problem. Even before the battle begins, God tells them the final outcome. I love that. In verse 2, uh, the angel of the Lord, the commander of the angel of the army of the Lord, who we know as uh, Jesus, he eventually is revealed as Jesus, he says to them, uh, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. You know that before you even begin to fight. And the point is, if, if the king is on your side, uh, if you're incredibly weak and your inc- enemy is incredibly strong, if the king is on your side, uh, you're going to win the battle. Uh, the, the stronghold will fall. The gates of hell, he promises, will not prevail. Uh, justice will come to the planet. Every single stronghold that opposes the reign of God on this planet will fall eventually. And this planet will be saved. That's the promise of God. And the weapons that God uses are even stranger. They're quite a bit stranger than the ark and the ram's horns. Um, if you know anything about uh, Jesus and the story of Jesus and the, the essential message of Christianity, uh, if you know anything about that at all, you know that for a Christian, the weapons that God uses to destroy evil are a cross um, made of wood and three nails and a crown of thorns and the blood of the son. Remember, we love these rascals.